back to The Basement Binge. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I'm glad you found The Basement Binge where movies are made meaningful. Currently, I'm celebrating the two-year anniversary of The Basement Binge. I want to celebrate it with you. So I'm giving away two $10 movie gift cards to the video on demand service or to a movie theater. You can win those by leaving a review on podchaser.com slash The Basement Binge. I've extended the deadline just with the amount of time it's taking me to produce these episodes you've got until October 15th. So leave those reviews on podchaser.com. The winner will be announced on the episode after October 15th. So with that out of the way, let's talk about Ad Astra. So let's just jump right in with the very first segment here, Two Cents. So if you're new here, Two Cents is a segment that is completely spoiler free. It was originally intended to be within a two minute time period, but the podcast has changed over two years and that two minutes is usually exceeded. But it is completely spoiler free and my knee jerk reaction about the film. And with Ad Astra, it's really hard to do because it's hard to talk about this film and its significance to me and my excitement about doing a review on it completely spoiler free. It is a very significant film to me. It's a significant theater experience for me, one that I, I remember very, very fondly. And it, it was very crucial at the time when my taste in film was expanding beyond just mainstream movies. I'm going to talk more about that later, but it was, it was a really powerful experience in the theater. That Astra itself is just a unique film. It's a sci-fi space travel movie in all the ways that you don't expect that type of film to be. It's slow, it's unfolding, and it's full of contemplation. It's quieter with a beautiful score and incredible visuals. And the way that it, it expands through space in the largest way while depicting the instability of a simple human. And it's hard to get into that without spoilers because to get into that, you know, it would ruin the movie. So let me just hit some quick points here, trying to convince you to watch it because if, if you haven't, you definitely should. It stars Brad Pitt in an extremely unique role that he just absolutely crushes. He gets the character, he latches onto it. In the, in the bonus features on the Blu-ray, he talks about how this portrayal of the character was deeply personal to him and the performance he gives is just phenomenal. He, he so much he captures the character. The cinematography is done by Hoyt Van Hoytema, who you probably know as Christopher Nolan's DP ever since Interstellar. So that includes Dunkirk, Interstellar, Tenant, those films. The film is just absolutely beautiful to look at. The lighting in space is unique in the way that it's extremely harsh and constant. And then the way that you have a black void on the light side of the moon, how you can't see the stars, that type of thing. And they really lean into that and capture some breathtaking images. I love the work that was done to create the visuals of space. You genuinely could watch this film on mute and still enjoy it. Yeah, the story and the experience would be completely different. I'm not trying to say it's one of those films, but visually it is just beautiful. The music I already mentioned, it's done by Max Richter and some assistance from Lauren Balfe, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful score. It's magnificent to watch and to hear, and for that reasons alone, you should watch it. On top of that, it's really unique in the way that it's a sci-fi film, and it's also just an amazing story to experience. I already mentioned how it's a really contemplative film. It's very self-reflective, and self-analysis is so key to the story of the film, but also a big part in the actual experience of watching the film. Don't go in expecting some space sci-fi action movie because it isn't that. And it isn't grand in the sense of interstellar. It's nothing like that. And it's not trying to be anything like that. It's smaller in the way it really just is about one man and, and the individual human experience 
of traveling into space and what that means. It, it does have action. It's small action. It's done absolutely incredibly. And I, and I will talk about that later when we can get into the spoilers, but the entire film, it just contains this incredible polish over it that's done with such intense care. And if you're into it, it's a fantastic film to watch. So check out Ad Astra if you have not seen it already. If you have, let's continue on into the spoilers onto the next segments. Before we do, I want to reiterate, I'm giving away those two gift cards. You can win one by leaving a review on Podchaser. It's totally free. It's one of the best sources ever. The reason that I recommend Podchaser, it's very similar to the IMDb of podcasting, but it also allows you to leave reviews on every single episode. So if you've reviewed The Basement Binge before, you can, again, you've gone until October 15th. Podchaser is also great because it allows me to reply to your views and to actually see your views in one consistent place. Without Podchaser, you could be leave a review and I would never see it. So if you would like to enter that giveaway, please go to podchaser.com slash binge. Of course, in the show notes, I appreciate it very much. Let's move on. We're talking about Ad Astra with the next segment here, Pick Your Poison. Here at the Basement Binge, this is our the rating scale that I made up. Instead of giving it a percentage or a letter grade or whatever, it's all about the experience of interacting with the film after this watch of it. So four choices to never watch it again, which is self-explanatory, to stream it. It's on a service that you're already paying for and you're just looking for something to watch and it's just able to fill that hole. Above that is to rent it. You'd be willing to pay a few, but all are in the right circumstances. The top of the list is buy it. Watch as many times as you like. For me, it is without a doubt a buy. After that one experience in the theater, I knew I had to get it on Blu-ray, and I did as soon as it was available. It is a film that I know I will watch for the rest of my life, and I can't wait to get into those details. So, so let's do it now with the next segment here and really kind of get into the spoilers more and why this film means so much to me with Live Up. So this is a film aptly named where I talk about my expectations for the film and if it is able to live up to those expectations, good or bad. And I'm going to jump back to what I hinted at in the two cents, talking about my experience in the theater and why it's a significant one to me and a memorable one. It was about the time that the podcast, but more significantly myself, was watching and reviewing Alita Battle Angel. It's the time before the actual episode for the basement binge came out, but I had experienced the film, me as an individual, and also the podcast, we were becoming really active on Twitter with the Alita Army, which is a fantastic group of people. If you're on Twitter, I love the Alita Army. I'm no longer on Twitter, so I don't, I can't go back and view the message who recommended me to go see at Astra. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So being a part of the group of Alita Army, I made a great friend wonderful individuals. One of them recommended that I go see Ad Astra when it was in theaters and I went completely off that recommendation. I don't know who it was because I've since deleted the Twitter account, but thank you to the Lita Army. If you're on Twitter, I love those people. Anyway, I decided to go f- see the film on a whim. I hadn't, I didn't watch a single trailer. I, I just completely went off this recommendation and I was just blown away. I, I went to the theater completely alone And the only word I could describe it, I I remember calling my wife in the parking lot late at night trying to describe what I just went through. And I could only really describe it as meditative. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced, especially in a theater. No film had ever made me reflect on myself so deeply. 
I mean, we have the podcast here. We'd been doing the podcast for a few months with the last segment fall in, which is completely devoted to making films meaningful, finding the message and meaning and having a conversation about them in every film, whether that's the intention or if it's a blockbuster, we kind of have to stretch it. But with that, I'd never had a film that made me reflect so deeply, so far inwardly. Normally, at the end of a film, especially in the theater, it's easy to get up, take my popcorn bucket and walk out, you know, have a little small talk with some friends I went with or other people in the theater and get in the car and drive away. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, oh yeah, the event's over, let's go home. But with this, I, I just couldn't get up. I, I remember sitting there, my phone was about to die and I had my note app open, just waiting to type something, trying to deal with everything that I had just experienced. I, I sat there through the entire credits, and it wasn't just me. It was me and a few other people, like two. Uh, the theater wasn't very packed to begin with, and this was way before COVID. But it took a while for me to come to terms with the feelings I was having because of the film. The way that as I saw Roy, the character on his journey of unwrapping his emotions, coming to terms with them, accepting hurt and anger and loss and how that has affected individuals around him, it made me want to reflect on myself. On top of that, it made me want to reflect on what connects me to earth. What is my tie to this place? So, so very, very powerful experience in the theater. So this time around, years later, how did it go? Well, it was nowhere near as surprising as the first time, obviously, but it was just as sincere in the way that it caused me to reflect. Roy's journey to save or stop his dad, however you want to describe it, and his emotional journey to move on really makes me reflect on my relationship to earth and to those around me, my entire interaction with everyone and everything around me. And I knew that, and I knew that going into the film, and it was amazing to see how having that prepared helped me be more specific in examining it. Instead of just in a vague sense, take more specifics and, and stronger memories, stronger understanding stronger questions to ask instead of just a vague questioning. But it is a film that you need to have the right ideas about. Because so many space movies, this genre within sci-fi deals with aliens and extraterrestrial life. What is that like? And, and what if we're not alone? There's a quote by Arthur C. Clarke that the director mentions multiple times throughout the bonus features and the commentary. Either we are alone in the universe or we are not, and both are equally terrifying. What would that story be like if we are alone? And that, that was really the whole motivation of the film, is to make a story about that and to make it as real as possible and to examine what that would be like. And the way that it influences the entire film is phenomenal. And, and it, it, to have it live up, you got to know that that's what the film is. If you go and expecting some action sci-fi space movie, it is not that. The trailers are marketing it totally wrong. So for me, ha not having those expectations and then having the right idea about the film the second time around, really, yes. To answer the question, does it live up? Yes, it exceeds my expectations every time, even already having pretty high expectations the second time around. So let's get into the, the other segment here, binge points. Now, this is a, a segment that feels honestly kind of out of place in this 
in this episode because I just want to rush to fall in because that's what this film about. This film isn't about Easter eggs. It's not about fan service. They are there. There are some pretty cool Easter eggs and there's some cool details that I want to point out. On top of that, if you go to the trivia page on IMDb, it talks about like the wow message, which I know absolutely nothing about, so I'm not including it. But if you know what that is, go to IMDb. It's kind of cool how they involve that in the film. Anyway, let's talk about binge points. The biggest binge points I had is I want to talk about the film's depiction of, of space and space travel. James Gray, the director, in a feature, a bonus feature, talked about he wanted it to be the most realistic depiction of space travel that's been put in a movie. And the, that was the entire idea in the film, to do something we haven't seen before in this genre. And to get into the first pinch point here, unlike several contemporary films where CGI is used to depict the spacecraft and the vast space, James Gray decided to use practical effects like models and props for the spacecraft exterior shots. Very, very similar to something like 2001 Space Odyssey. And knowing that, and then going back to those clips, I can really see it. And, and I love miniature work. And I, I'm glad that as difficult as James Gray and Brad Pitt had getting this film uh, made, you know, getting it greenlit and being able to make it, I'm glad that the studio allowed them to use miniatures because so many things I've seen, whether it's a, a director or a visual effects artist or whomever it is, says that the studios are kind of against miniatures because they think it's going to look old. And by no means does this look old. It looks modern and, and any even better than CGI. You know, it, it was so good that I was like, wow, this is phenomenal CGI. And it just turns out that, wow, it's miniatures. Understandable. Uh, on top of that, instead of using CGI for the planets, he decided to use still images of the actual planets to portray the surface of the planets and use them with the miniatures. It's just very reminiscent of 2001 A Space Odyssey. And the way that it's used and modernized just looks phenomenal. The opening scene on the space antenna, they built an actual set, not an entire space antenna, honestly, but a set to get Brad Pitt involved in the action and to have some action of him actually filmed. They attached him to a parachute rig to film in, and then they also filmed some actual skydiving. And you can see those laced together in the edit, but it really works so well to bring you into the fall that he's experienced and to have it not just be some action set piece like Mission Impossible Fallout, which is fantastic in its own right. This is just an experience for the character and the way that they use all those effects together works phenomenally. Other great details, the low gravity on the moon battle. Never before have we seen a moon rover battle. They filmed the sequence in Death Valley using a regular film camera and then also an infrared camera. They use the regular film camera to get the film grain to have it look consistent with the rest of the film. And they use the infrared camera because it would black out the entire sky. And so the two of those combined allow for the consistent look with the film while also having it look like you're in the black void of space on the moon. Of course, there was CGI that was used. Uh, most of it was referenced, not most of it, all of it was referenced to everything they could find about the moon through surveys and scans from the actual moon landings. Uh, the low gravity uh, physics works so well in the CGI and the way that the spacecraft falls apart and move. Uh, even things you wouldn't really notice like muzzle flashes. They did all this research into the physics. Obviously, they didn't go to the moon, but they did, you know, theoretical physics. How would a muzzle flash travel differently with less gravity and then created them accordingly? I mean, like I didn't notice in the film, but hearing them talk about it, I think it's incredible. But then we also get wire work. We get a lot of zero gravity work 
done. And I was really intrigued how they did it. Uh, most of it was just wire work. Um, but I love how they did it. They did, they had really fluid movement. They didn't try and oversell it. They just allowed it to be what it is. On top of that, I really enjoyed how when they did the zero gravity movement, when a character would move, it wasn't ridiculous. You know, like there's no friction there there's no particles to adjust yourself in so when they move the the motion that they propel themselves with whatever it is continues with them and i think it, they did incredibly well on top of that the depiction of actual physical orientation you know which ways up and down which ways north that type of thing in space they did really well you know your choice of what is down is down and there's a scene where they're approaching the ship with the mayday call and they're floating up towards the ship. And we get the view below their feet of the ship above their head. They're floating up towards it. And then when they get closer to the ship, it cuts. And now the ship door is at the bottom and they are floating down to it. It almost looks like they're kind of diving down towards it. And I, I just loved it. You know, it's a detail that I don't know if that was the intention to express the disorientation and orientation of, of space but I loved it. I mean, I've never been in space. It's just one of those things I love about sci-fi to imagine what it would be like to be in space. So I, I love seeing that. Other things with gravity, when they blast off the moon to go to Mars in the rocket, the, the explosion and the propulsion is much smaller because they don't need as much thrust to leave the atmosphere of Earth. And there's also way less gravity, so they don't need as much of a force. Other things like the production design, the actual interior of the ship, they consulted heavily with actual astronauts, individuals who have been in these types of things. And then when the set was built, they brought them on board and then also the actors there to have a, a time to learn from them to then better act in the role as a space crew. The, the ship that they use, uh, Cepheus, I think is what it's called, it's a theoretical engine used to get them to Neptune. It's electrical propulsion, allowing them to use the sun and solar energy to get the thrust they need and not have fuel. The solar rays are there to gather the energy and that's why they're on the, the ship. I mean, I don't think anybody would have thought like, oh, how do they not have fuel? You know, the film said a hundred years in the future, we're able to travel to Neptune. Like that's just one of the things you take in the suspension of disbelief is, oh yeah, we're able to travel to Neptune. You're not worried about how, but the detail and visually expressing that, hey, this film has solar panels. It's using that I think is fantastic. Other things, the way that they treated the travel to the moon and how it's so commercialized while also still being completely horrible. I mean, the experience of him getting onto the flight, it's just done with such like seriousness while also being like kind of funny and how accurate it is. He gets a, a blanket and a pillow and it costs $125. Then he gets a hot towel. Like a, it's not even a towel. It's like a, it's like a napkin and a little package. And like, thanks for flying with us to the moon. Here's a little napkin in a, in a package. You know, the entire thing feels real. And I love the way that they even got permission to use Virgin Airlines realistically. And now they're commercializing us going to the moon. I, I just love it. The, the way that they added such you know following up real steel where we talked about realness the way that they had genuine realness and actual science to these things makes it that much better one other bench point on a totally different point that i just want to talk about because i think is incredible and i love it as soon as the film starts you notice it it's different we get the 20th century fox logo and there's no fanfare that you know everyone knows it that's not 
is gone. We, we just get this eerie sound and it's intense and, and kind of engulfs you in it. And I found out that that sound is just a loop of Clifford McBride, the father in the film, saying, I love you, my son, repeatedly. Uh, but it's, it's altered and sped up and used there. And, and the director explained, we wanted it to be almost unconscious. It almost sounds like an ultrasound for an unborn baby. It's very weird. Just the way that it, that initial reaction you have to the film and now knowing what it is, it, it captures the entire mood of the film so well. So that's all the binge points. Again, like I said, not a lot to get into here. Let's really get into what I am excited to talk about with this episode. And we have one more segment before we get to fall in, and that is lease and likes. My least favorite scene and my favorite scene. My least favorite scene is actually one very kind of small thing because there's so much about this film that just works incredibly well for me. It's when uh, Roy is speaking to his dad through the laser on Mars to Neptune. He has a script. He's trying to get in contact with him. And he goes off script and, and talks to his dad. That's not the part that I have a problem with. I like that. I think it's an incredible moment for Roy. The, the, what I don't like is how they have a reaction. I mean, the first thing... How do they know that? I mean, it's traveling, the message is traveling by laser from Mars to Neptune. Actually, I'm kind of curious how long that would take. What is the distance between Mars and Neptune in light years? Google doesn't know the answer. Okay. Either way, it, it takes a while for it to get there. How do they react? On top of that, it, they, they react and then they, they brush him aside and get him out of the way and tell him that his emotional involvement makes him no longer fit for the mission. And while the moment of emotion, I think, is important and I don't get how anything else, the reaction they have, the booting amount, drives the narrative and the journey for Roy further. I don't get it. Maybe I'm missing something, but that's my least favorite scene. My favorite scene, however, is as much as I want to say the moon rover scene, that is a great scene, but maybe in a different movie it would be my favorite scene. In this movie, it's after he encounters the space monkeys and sadly the captain... I think his name's, I almost said Captain Carter, uh, Captain Tanner, the way that he reacts to that death and he starts to unpack and actually examine his emotions. He has a psychological evaluation that for the first time, he doesn't seem like a robot. And I, I just love that scene and I, the way that it drives the journey of Roy forward, the, the portrayal that... Brad Pitt has there, I, I just think is phenomenal. As he talks about, he says the words, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be my dad. I just, I love it. We're going to get into that and fall in. In fact, let's just get it right now. Let's move on to the last segment here. The one that I've been waiting to get to with this ex segment that fits this type of film so well, fall in. This is where I talk about the meanings, the messages of the film. And it, like I said, it works so well with this. I, I've already mentioned how when I, I first saw the film, I kept describing it as meditative. That was the word I kept using, but I had a hard time describing it beyond that. What, why was it meditative? What did it cause me to meditate about? And now I eventually did have some thoughts beyond just the word meditative about it. In my uh, original review of this film, in fact, my very, very first review on Letterboxd ever, this is a section of what I wrote about Ad Astra. I said, I find it difficult to explain this experience, so new and foreign, still lacking defining words, but it is a film that never once lost my attention. 
a film with great acting and storytelling, unique perspectives and ideas, even a new type of story, always subverting my expectations in a pleasant and profound way. It makes me consider my existence and relationship to life, relationship to those around me, to my job and priorities, and to the universe as a whole. A film so expansive in space, yet depicting the great stature and instability of a simple human. And reading it back now sounds a little bit like pretentious cheese, but it's absolutely true. Every, everything about it, it's sincerely made re- reflect on those things. So this time around, knowing that and knowing that it would cause self-reflection, I was prepared for specifics, like I mentioned. But even still, as it ended, I felt myself reacting on my eternal state, made me like my emotional state. It still felt vague. It just felt like a very, not that examining yourself internally is vague, but I wasn't ready to jot down Ad Astra makes me think about my blank. Beyond just saying it makes me reflect on myself. But taking notes this time throughout the film and working on this episode helped me actually get into some specifics that I can talk about beyond just reflecting with on myself. And so I've got two ideas here that apply to way more than just my general uh, psyche and my general emotions, but meanings that I think definitely apply to me and are deeply personal that I need to hear more also I think applies to everyone. The first one is the idea about creating our own false gods and how that is a horrible thing. The second one is that with all this technological process, the second one is with all this technological progress we're taking in the film, it's a hundred years in the future. They have the ability to travel to Neptune. Technology is advanced. Are we also progressing emotionally? Are we as individuals progressing along with our technology? So let's talk about the first one. Uh, I have work to do. I have infinite work to do. I must find intelligent life. So Clifford McBride, the father of Roy, believed that traveling to Neptune in the search of intelligent life was more important than anything else he could do. I mean, I'm not a scientist. I I know that it would take a while to get to Neptune. At the end of the film, we find out that it's 2.714 billion miles away from Earth. It's a long ways away. You are... The human body is not intended to be in space. We, we are not physically built to be in space. And so there is a lot that is sacrificed physically, emotionally, personally, relationship E, all the E's that we want to give it to go to Neptune to search for these things. As the film says, focus only on the essential to the exclusion of all else. And it really does create this false god. And not in the sense that aliens are supreme beings that we worship, not in the Prometheus film type sense, but more in like the biblical sense of false gods in something that takes priority away from the true God. Now, we could sit here with everybody's different in religious and spiritual and personal views and talk about and try to define what is the true God. But a much shorter conversation would be if we are discussing what false gods we worship that take us away from that. Or to rephrase it, what things we improperly prioritize at the sacrifice and neglect of all else. For the character of Clifford McBride, 
It was the idea that finding intelligent life was the only thing worth doing. I'm going to sacrifice everything to do it, and if I can't do that, nothing else is worth it. And look at the hurt that it caused him, that it caused the world, and that it caused one individual person. There's a lot that we do in prioritizing things that don't deserve the level of priority. I do it all the time. It, making priorities in life is a difficult thing, and those are always adjusting and changing, and it's definitely a balance if you believe in that type of thing. But when one thing becomes the false god, all else falls aside, and we end in tragedy. But let's move on to the second one, which I have a lot more to say. I am ready to go, ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I am focused only on the essential to the exclusion of all else. I will make only pragmatic decisions. I will not allow myself to be distracted. I will not allow my mind to linger on that which is unimportant. I will not be vulnerable to mistakes. Resting BPM 47. Submit. Your psychological evaluation has been approved. As a reminder, please perform it. And so the second idea is about are we making emotional progress along with our technological progress? We start the film with Roy having a psychological evaluation saying that he's focused on the essential at the exclusion of of all else. The editor reveals to us that the cost that that type of exclusion placed on his life was his wife leaving him. He doesn't seem bothered by it. Uh, Maybe it's because he, he will not rely on others and all the other things he says. He really seems like a robot. I showed my wife the clip. She hasn't seen the film and she was like hurt. Like how could he do that? You know, she's a really emotional person. Uh, and naturally, we're married. She loves me. She'd be devastated if that happened to us. Uh, and it's, so it's interesting to see just the incredible lack of emotion that this individual has as he just he goes out to work on the space antenna. And, and the, the bravery and cool-headedness he has without the lack of emotion. You know, his heart rate, his BPM never goes above 80 or whatever they say. But as Roy goes on this journey through space the exclusion of all else starts to fade away and he understands who he is. He has to come to terms with the idea that his dad might be alive. He has to deal with that. And actually, as a mission for the one thing that is the essential that he focuses on, has to reach out to his dad. His his mission requires him to dig into an emotional part of himself that he so frequently avoids in his space adventures. And as he reflects on this, he begins to reflect on himself. And this guy who for so long has just been a really extreme kind of traditional form of masculine, keeping all of his emotions inside and excluding it as unessential, now has to deal with all of that. And we get this fantastic scene that I mentioned as my favorite scene where he goes, the apes attack him, the captain dies, and he has to come back and he has a psychological evaluation. So listen to this clip here. McBride, 
Roy R., are you ready for your psychological evaluation? Yes. Please begin. I am on my way to Mars. We answered a mayday call and uh, ended in tragedy. We lost the captain. Your answer is being processed. Please continue. Well, that's it. I mean, we go to work, we do our jobs. And then it's over. We're here and then we're gone. Please describe how the incident itself affected you. The attack. It's full of rage. I understand that rage. I've seen that rage in my father. I've seen that rage in me. Because I'm angry that he took off. He left us. But when I, I look at that anger and I, if I push it aside and just put it away, all I, all I see is hurt. I just, I just see pain. I think it keeps me walled off, walled off from relationships and opening myself up and, you know, really caring for someone. And I don't know how to get past that. I don't know how to get around that. And it worries me. And I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be my dad. Your psychological evaluation has been approved. If you wish to obtain a complete I think it's just a fantastic scene we get as he begins to unpack who he is inside. And the journey continues, and I think that for Roy, he starts to hope that his journey is going to bring him answers, especially as he eventually has to speak to his dad. This individual who hurt him because he left when he needed love and wasn't there, he now has to reach out to. This person's been gone for 30 plus years. They've been hurting you for 30 plus years and you have to then reach out for them. And, and Roy has this prepared script, but eventually he just rejects it and says, I hope to reconnect. Because while there is hurt, the hurt comes from a young boy inside of Roy that for years has longed to have connection with his father, to reconnect, to have those moments of watching black and white musicals. And in this moment now, 30 years later, it's not what he needs. He doesn't need connection with his dad. And it's not necessarily what he wants either. But in this acknowledgement of the need unmet that caused hurt. And it's a huge progress. And, it, and it's a huge progression for Roy. And a huge acknowledgement of who he is. And the emotional makeup of himself. And how this very large event of his dad flying off to Neptune has affected 
who he is and what he's doing now. And I love what Brad Pitt in one of the bonus features said about the character and, and talking about his own personal legacy and, and a little bit of his family and his, his descendants and how saying, and, and even just men in general, he was saying how we don't open up. We don't complain or brag. We just work and that's it. Roy is realizing that isn't working for him and he's trying to evolve. And that emotional journey of evolving just continues along as he is, is forced a one-way trip to Neptune to save his dad, to confront the very heart of everything. Eventually, he does confront his dad, and there's a lot that you could break down about that final scene with his dad. But the short of it is that his dad confesses he never cared for them, that he never cared for his mother or their small ideas. And Roy simply replies, I know dad. He's accepted it. And he's able to move on. And more than anything else, that is freeing for him. Clifford McBride is unable to move on to the point of choosing to drift off into space and die in the cold vacuum of space instead of returning home. But Roy physically unhooks himself from his dad and lets him go. The force that is pulling him out into space, away from Earth, Away from connection, he lets go of. And he makes it home. And what I love most about the final confrontation between them is that it isn't full of answers for Roy. Roy doesn't get answers about everything, but he does learn. He doesn't find answers to why his dad left or maybe why it hurts or why it makes him angry. It isn't any type of closure. His dad drifting onto space doesn't undo or end the years of hurt or suddenly fix the effects that it's had on him emotionally. But he, Roy does learn to move on. As Roy and his dad are getting ready to leave, you know, he's putting on a spacesuit. Clifford, the dad, begs Roy to stay with him and say, you know, with your courage, we could continue the project. And he, and, he, and he talks about how the Lima Project has told us that we're all alone in the no, noble universe. And he says, I can't fail. You can't let me fail, Roy. And to which Roy replies, Dad, you haven't. Now we know we're all we've got. This changes Roy as he appreciates all that his father has discovered. He accepts the truth. Right? Later, Roy says, he captured strange and distant worlds in greater detail than ever before. They are beautiful, magnificent, full of awe and wonder, but beneath their sublime surfaces there was nothing. No love or hate, no light or dark. He could only see what he was not there and missed what was right in front of him. So in a way, Roy does get answers. He gets answers of how he can move on. And I love how the director put it in his commentary. He, he talked about how closure, he doesn't believe in it. He says, we learn to live with terrible things that happen to us. We don't get over it. And I think Roy learns that he needs to live to, with it. And he learns how to live with it better than he has been because he hasn't been living with it. He's been trying to escape it through space and avoid it through solitude. And he's realizing that that is not how you live with it. That's not how you move on. And it's, it's com this, this entire journey, 
its entire emotional progress is concluded so well with some of the last lines from Roy's character. The first, there's two lines I want to point out. But first, as he's about to start the two billion mile journey back to Earth, he says to himself, I am looking forward to the day my solitude ends. And I'm home. The ending of his emotional solitude. But even better than that is his last psychological evaluation, the last part of the film. I'm steady, calm. I slept well, no bad dreams. I am active and engaged. I'm aware of my surroundings and those in my immediate sphere. I'm attentive. I'm focused on the essential to the exclusion of all else. I'm unsure of the future, but I'm not concerned. I will rely on those closest to me. And I will share their burdens. As they share mine. I will live and love. submit I mean that's a tough thing to to follow up one I don't have the same beautiful voice as Brad Pitt two how well said is that we're attentive and we're aware we support others as they support us that's how Roy moves on and that's what he realizes matters and that's what tethers him to earth is that we're all we've got so we need each other and i just i think it's remarkable to see as i was showing my wife that i mentioned earlier i only played her those two clips the first psychological evaluation and the last and while there's so much in between that you miss and takes away the the richness of that it, it is a stark contrast an intense contrast between those two individuals. I think it's important that all of us understand the value in the second individual. And while there is extreme value in the first individual, he's incredibly value to Space Command for his bravery and his coolness under pressure. There is a time bomb in that individual where eventually it's not going to work anymore. And the second individual can take all of the values of the first and add so many more. 
what a fantastic film. I, I, I love this film. And I'm glad that I finally got around during the two-year anniversary of the podcast to talk about Ad Astra. It's, it's been this thought in my mind for so long that with this idea of falling, with this idea of having a movie review podcast, eventually I'm going to have to talk about Ad Astra. And it worried me because I didn't know if I could do it. And I, I think I did. I think I did it. So let me know. You can leave that review on Podchaser. Podchaser.com slash The Basement Binge. Or if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment. Leave a thumbs up. Let me know what you think. I really would appreciate it. I put a lot of work into this. Um, but on top of that, if you do leave a review on Podchaser, it also enters you a chance to win a giveaway. You got until October 15th to enter that giveaway. I would appreciate it. It's a celebration of the two-year anniversary. You want to give back a little bit. The reviews help the show out a ton. With that, it's really time to wrap this up. Uh, look out for new episodes coming very soon. Subscribe to The Basement Binge wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on YouTube and this is your first episode, there are so many more episodes. You can get The Basement Binge wherever podcasts are available. I would greatly appreciate it. But once again, my name is Harrison. This is The Basement Binge. And that's all for now. Ciao, ciao.